Wasn't this awesome? Like everybody, everybody loves this? So two, two great difficulties. Uh, to, if you ever want to worship with the Grace Church, two things are uh, obstacle courses for you. One, catch us if you can. Who knows where we'll be meeting. And then second, when you get here, we want to make it as difficult as possible to endure the service. So please fan yourself. You look wonderful. We're going to try to be conscientious of the time. I have a dab cloth. Uh, the bathroom is this way. You can pump the paper towel thing and get your own. Um, but I do want to unfold for us a few of the beauties of Christ from Second Corinthians, Second uh, Timothy. I'm sure that's good too. But Second Timothy, chapter two, 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 two. Second Timothy, chapter two, and. If you have a Bible, I really encourage you to find that place so that you can see these God-given, wonderful words. Today, the Lord wants to tell us that our spiritual weakness does not have to remain that way. Now, there is a good type of weakness. We should try to get more of it. The kind of weakness that causes us to depend entirely upon the Lord and not ourselves. Don't get rid of that kind of weakness. That type of weakness is actually a strength. But today's passage is about one thing. The main point is right at the beginning. It's in verse 1. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's the main point. Then the passage tells us six ways to do that. Turn your attention to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. And open your souls to hear the word of the Lord. Verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Verse 5, also if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Verse 7, consider what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the Word of God is not imprisoned. Verse 10, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it, eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Before we pray, I've already said the main points in verse 1, and the title of the sermon is strengthened by the grace of our faithful God. That's verse 1 and verse 13. Strengthened by the grace in Christ, 
God is faithful. He cannot be otherwise strengthened by the grace of our faithful God. Let's ask him to do that, and then we'll turn our attention to try to unpack the passage. Pray with me, please. Father, for Christ's sake, would you make us strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? We ask this for your glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So one main point and six ways to do that. Main point, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's verse 1. Just to be clear, this is a command. It is a present tense command. And it is a passive command. I want to just draw your attention to that phrase again. This is something that must happen. That is a command. It must happen to you, not by you. It is passive, not active. And in the present tense, it must happen right now. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The answer for how to do that is found in verses 2 to 3. But before we go there, let's make sure we're just on the same page about the main point. The main point is verse 1. Why would such a command be necessary? Why would the Apostle Paul have to tell Timothy, be strong in the grace in Christ? Well, in a word, he's like all of us. We get weak. Not just physically, but also spiritually. Some of you are weak today. You're a real Christian. You're, a, you're trusting in Jesus Christ as your only hope in life and death, like Matt said about Lydia Maxwell, who we just welcomed into membership. You're in Christ. You're a true Christian. You're headed for glory, but your faith is weak when it ought to be strong. Even though Timothy was a pastor, he was apparently in need of another Christian friend to urge him to find strength again in Christ. Now I want you to focus on the source in verse 1. The supply for Timothy's needed strength. It's not himself. It's not his own personal resolve. It's not his own willpower. The command, I said, is passive. It happens to you, not by you. The, verb, uh, the, the subject receives the action. It is not something that Timothy does. Rather, it's something that's done to him. It is a be strengthened, not strengthen yourself. How does that happen? Verse 1 says, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That means what you need today, more than you need first world amenities, like an HVAC system that blows cool air, air on you. What you need today, more than you need anything, is an outside of yourself spiritual strength. Paul's referring to the power of Christ coming into Timothy's life now. It's a present tense command. Re-energizing his walk with Jesus. But I want you to notice very carefully, and I hope your Bible renders it this way, it is not a from Jesus grace. It is an in Jesus grace. It's the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Put, put simply, Paul is telling Timothy that all he needs, everything he needs for life, for ministry, for godliness is bound up in the sufficiency of his Savior. Now that would be very bad news if that Savior is not available. If everything you must have right now is out of reach, that's terrible news. 
But if He is accessible, if He is approachable, if He is near to you, if His heart is willing to give to you what you need, then this is gloriously good news. And if you can picture it, is Paul setting out the banquet of the sufficiency of Christ right in front of Timothy, and he's commanding him, not suggesting, feast your soul on Jesus now. Glut your spiritual stomach on the fullness of Christ now. He is available to you. The only reason you don't have Christ now in all of His strength is not because He's unavailable, but because you won't eat. He is here and He is yours. So notice also that Paul wants to pump spiritual encouragement into the veins of Timothy by reminding Timothy that they are related in Christ. He says in verse 1, Timothy, my son. My son. Well, that's interesting because Paul was never married and had no children. And Timothy was absolutely Paul's son. He was his child. How does that work? It's because they're more related than biology can connect you. They're more related than mother and daughter, father and son. They're more related than brother and sister. How? Timothy, like Paul, was related to the one Savior, Christ Jesus. Timothy's mom and grandmother led him to Christ as a child. Paul didn't do that. But Paul did meet him as a young Christian and took him into his heart as his son in the Lord. He discipled and mentored him. He helped him grow as a gospel man and a gospel minister. In that little phrase, my son, Paul is reminding Timothy that both Timothy and Paul are related to each other forever because both of them are united to Christ forever. So this again shows us that to continue to tap in to the strength of Christ that we must have, we must also embrace the vital importance of having close relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's ask it retroactively. What brother or sister in Christ did you encourage in Jesus last week? If the answer is zero, are you going to repeat the same mistake this week? What brother or sister in Christ is encouraging you to tap into its strength? I can assure you there's a lot of people in this room that would love to be such an encouragement to you. So after Paul lays out his opening exhortation, the command, he then gives Timothy six ways to do it. To tap into the grace that is available to him in Christ. Jesus will strengthen those who look to Jesus and embrace a Jesus-following, Jesus-obeying life of faith. So the way we're strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, according to this passage, are first by making multiplying disciples of Jesus. I'm going to be very quick with these, at least by Jordan's standards. So listen carefully. Those of you who prefer tables over uh, benches, then maybe you can help the bench-sitting people uh, to get these later if you write them down. How can you be strong in the grace that's in Christ? Number one, make multiplying disciples of Jesus. This is verse 2. This verse has been a mile marker in my life. It's been very significant in many of your lives up until this point. By the grace of God, many people have done for me what Paul said he did for Timothy in verse 2. But I'm, a, I'm here to say this is a non-negotiable pathway 
if you want to be strong in the grace that is in Christ. Meaning, you cannot have the grace you must have in Jesus by yourself. You cannot have this grace alone. We say it often around here. Christianity is very personal, but it is never private. God was not finished when He got to you. For you to live for Jesus, listen carefully, on a hot Sunday morning. For you to live for Jesus, you must have the people of Jesus. And vice versa. Weak Christians continue to atrophy in their spiritual muscles by hoarding the treasure of Christ. That actually makes you weaker. Conversely, Christians who are being strengthened in the grace of Christ are doing so because they're constantly seeking to make others happy in Jesus. Are you doing that? Paul, I believe, is saying to Timothy, be strong in Christ, number one, by making other people happy in Jesus. I again ask you about last week and this coming week. Do you see the four generations in verse 2? Paul to Timothy... Timothy to faithful men, faithful men to others who will teach more. There's at least four generations of paying it forward in verse 2. Paul's referring when he says, first, entrust these things to faithful men. It's not just random haphazard spiritual idioms. Paul's saying the things you heard me say in the presence of many. It's probably a setting a lot like this. Probably the three and a half years Paul was the pastor of the church at Ephesus where Timothy is now the pastor. And Paul said, when all those people were listening, just like you and you and you and you, and you heard me say these things in the presence of many people, you take that stuff and give it to faithful people. So first, it's truth. James says, don't let many teach because they will be judged more strictly. Don't just make up stuff. Ask yourself this question. When you're trying to encourage somebody else in Christ, would the Apostle Paul put his stamp of approval on it? Yep, that's the same stuff I've been saying, and I encourage you to say it again. And number two, entrust those true things about God and His Word and the Gospel to faithful people. You see that in verse 2. Entrust these things to faithful men who will teach others also. That word faithful is used 67 times in the New Testament. Most of them refer to God. God is faithful. Like Him, one of His communicable attributes, He infuses faithfulness into His people. You also find men like that. How do you know if they're faithful? The verse answers the question. They teach others also. Paul said the whole church at Ephesus was like this. He wrote in Ephesians 1 to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. A whole church full of people who are trying to make more people happy in Jesus. Paul said teach those people. Pour your life into those people. Are you one of them? You see, verse 2 is about people who, like Paul and Timothy... And like faithful men, verse 2 is about people who have the heart of Christ for other people. That's one of the ways you get strong in Christ. Give Jesus away and He will make you stronger in His grace. You can't outgive God. He's the best disciple maker in the history of the world. 
And he poured three and a half years of his public ministry into 11 faithful men. And they taught others also. So the first way to be strong in the grace of Christ is to make multiplying disciples of Jesus. One of the first questions we should ask a person who wants to do a Bible study with us is, who are you already praying for that you will pour this into next? Number two, suffer with Jesus' workers. This is verses 3 through 6. You see in verse 3, there's the command, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. That phrase, suffer, is a command. But to explain the kind of suffering he has in mind, Paul gives three examples. A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. This is the kind of suffering Paul has in mind. It's actually a willing toil, not a whipping torture. There's a kind of suffering that is very torturous. This is actually voluntary toil because you see a prize that's worth it like a soldier, like an athlete, like a farmer. The first one, the suffering is accompanied by submission, like a soldier, a good soldier of Christ. What is a good soldier motivated by? Well, according to verse 4, he's motivated by pleasing the one who enlisted him. So verse 4 is picturing somebody who's suffering by saluting Jesus. Whatever he says, we will do. It's a suffering of submission. It's what a good soldier does by pleasing his master instead of, as verse 4 puts it, entangling himself in civilian affairs. Put very obviously, very simply, you and I cannot report to duty to Christ and simultaneously live in the world as if we're not an enlisted soldier. A good soldier of Christ has one main to please the one who enlisted him. Second is an athlete. Do you see that in verse 5? An athlete like one who competes according to the rules so he won't be disqualified. This is the kind of suffering Paul has in mind. Again, an athlete suffers, right? We all admire the Olympians who train for four, eight years, show up on our television screen. We had no idea that for the last eight years they had been beating their body and working on a diet and sweating profusely to perfect their craft so that in their event they could try to achieve a prize. An athlete suffers by choice, but they toil laboriously. The question is not, though, in verse 5, did you win the prize? The question is, did you compete according to the rules? That... Uh, you know, very famous baseball player from yesteryear, Pete Rose, is not in the Hall of Fame. Why? Because he broke the rules. Lance Armstrong won the, what many have described as the most arduous physical task on planet Earth, the Tour de France. He was stripped of his medals. Why? Because he broke the rules of the Tour. Ben Johnson set the world's fastest man record in 1987. He broke the 100-meter record that year, then won the Summer Olympics in 1988, only to be stripped of his gold medals. Why? Because of anabolic steroids. The question is not, did you win? The question is, you, did you do it the master's way? If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. So first, the soldier. Second, the athlete. The third type of suffering is the farmer. Do you see this one? 
the hardworking farmer who receives the first fruits of the produce. This is a way to be strengthened in the grace of Jesus. Now, I shared an illustration this week with a little class I'm teaching high school students of a pastor who disqualified himself from ministry through moral failure. After years, and he, by God's grace, was brought to repentance, he described what happened to him. And he said, this is what happened. I used to take the Bible and put it here, and then put it there. And I would go here, here, there, here, here, there. And then eventually, I just started going here, there, here, there, never here. And he said it was a slow trickle, but eventually, he lost his moral compass, sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's conviction. He fell into disqualifying sin. You see, a farmer is somebody we all respect for his hard work. My grandfather was one of those. He farmed a bunch of acres in eastern Arkansas. I used to remember as a little boy how cool it was to be able to drive his tractor. I also remember how uncool it was to get up before the sun rose and to come home after it set. The person who's being strengthened by grace is like a hardworking farmer. Do good farmers ever take a break? Yes. But they never go on vacation during planting or harvesting season. When the crop comes in, you better believe the farmer's family is going to eat very well, so will many, many of his neighbors. Like when people show up at Grace Church with baskets full of tomatoes because they grew them, we all appreciate that. So the kind of suffering Paul has in mind is not somebody torturing you, it's you buffeting your own life. It's you setting up your own training regiment, like a soldier, like an athlete, like a farmer. Why would anybody do any one of those? Not because the work is fun, not because the sweat is fun, but because the prize ahead of them is valued as worth it. If you want the grace of Jesus, you have to be very soldier, athlete, and farmer-like. That kind of suffering. Number three, not only make multiplying disciples of Jesus, not only suffer with His workers, but number three, seek Jesus in His Word. Verse 7. I love this verse. I encourage you to memorize it right now. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. What a verse to help you with the rest of the whole Bible. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. The point is, seek Jesus in His Word. Someone who is being strengthened by the grace of Christ is definitely somebody who has a very good relationship with God's Word. A man or woman who considers the words of the Word of God. If you do not want to read the Bible carefully, you will never understand it. Verse 7 begins with another command. In the New American Standard, it says, Consider what I say. One lexicon says that means to think over a matter with great care to pay careful attention, to consider it specifically. Another translation in English says, think carefully about what I say. The ESV says, think over what I say. The NIV says, reflect on what I'm saying. Do you see what Paul's telling Timothy? Do you want the grace of Christ that is right now available to you, and I'm commanding you to feast your soul on it? You must, number three, put into your mind the words of God's Word. 
This is the art of biblical meditation. To meditate is not to empty your mind like the Eastern religions. It's to fill your mind with the words of God. It's actually to talk with God about His Word. To praise Him when you find something of His beauty and character and love. To repent when you see Him say something to you that is inconsistent with His commands and His character. It's to have a conversation with God over Scripture. When the New American Standard says, consider what I say, Paul's saying, this is the work of mental ardor. It is cogitation to ruminate, marinate, to be desperate, to muse upon, to chew upon. That's how you're strengthened by God's grace. What's the consequence of somebody who spends their life thinking deeply about the Bible? Answer, you will understand what I say. Why? Because the Lord will give you understanding. Verse 7. So prayer-filled meditation upon the Word of God is the pathway to understanding it and therefore being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So keep plowing just like a farmer. Keep training just like an athlete. Keep saluting just like a soldier. Have an intimate relationship with the Word of God. Number four, if you want to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, you must make multiplying disciples of Jesus. Seek to make other people happy in Christ, number one. You must, number two, suffer with his workers. Number three, seek him in his word. But once you find him in his word, fix your eyes on the biblical Jesus. That's number four. Fix your eyes on the biblical Jesus. That's verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. Well, which Jesus, Paul? Verse 8. The one who's risen from the dead. The one who was the long-awaited Messiah, son of David. The one that I've been preaching in my good news gospel. The same one for whom I suffer hardship. The one for whom I'm now in jail. The one for whom they falsely accuse me as a criminal. That Jesus, whose word can never be stopped never be chained, never be imprisoned. Dear friends, this is the biblical Jesus. And Paul says at the beginning of verse 8, if you want three words to understand the whole Bible, these are three good ones. Remember Jesus Christ. That's how to be strengthened by His grace. To consider Him. Christ is not, as we say a lot, Jesus' last name. That's His office. That means He's the Messiah. That means He's the only Savior for sinners. The one God promised to send in the Old Testament. Here Paul says about this Jesus, He is risen from the dead. That's God's stamp of unbreakable certainty that He will save anyone who puts all their hope in Him for life everlasting. He's risen from the dead. He's David's son. That's not just an arbitrary Old Testament figure. That's the guy who was the king of the kingdom. Jesus, his son, is the king of God's new, new covenant eternal kingdom. Remember him. Think about him. Find him in his word and fix your eyes on him. So make disciples. Make people happy in Jesus. Suffer like a soldier, athlete, farmer. Go hard after God. Seek Jesus in His Word. Fix your eyes on the biblical Jesus. And number five, lay your life down for Jesus' people. Somebody did this for you. 
Are you doing this for others? Verse 10, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. We asked last Sunday at that much more climate-controlled building, what's your bottom line? We asked last Sunday, how much is too much for Jesus to ask of you in your service to Him? Paul uses an example in verse 10 of what it looks like to be strengthened or be being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ when he emphatically says, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen. There's actually no distance too great for Paul to go in obedience to Jesus to get the gospel to you. Is there any distance too great for you to go to get the gospel to others? If you want to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, seek with all your heart to get the gospel of Christ to more people. Paul says in verse 10, by way of personal testimony, for this reason, I, what reason? The previous verse. Because he has his, he has his own eyes fixed on the biblical Jesus. Because he's remembering Jesus Christ. Because he's remembering that he rose from the dead. He's remembering that Jesus is the king of the kingdom. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are elect. Now, it's hot, and here comes your big theology lesson for the day. Some people disagree vehemently with the doctrine of election. I used to. There are many who think that those who believe or agree with the doctrine of election suppose that we think there's no need for evangelism. There's no need for prayer. There's no need for mission. God's already chosen. But we repudiate that lie. That's a false dichotomy. We do believe in the doctrine of election. At least I'll speak for me. I do. And this is one of the many verses in the Bible that will not let you wiggle out of that. Jesus has chosen a people from eternity. But not only has He ordained the end, eternal glory, this verse says He's also ordained the means, how people will get there. He chose in eternity. He ordained what happens in time and it will be proven in future glory. He has ordained the means. When Christ Jesus brings world history to a close and the final judgment happens and all people are forever, either in heaven or in hell, then not one Christian will think we paid too great a price to get the gospel to those people who will join us there. If you want to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, devote your life to getting the gospel to more people. Now, we have no idea who Jesus is going to save. We have no idea who's elect and who's chosen. God has not given us that secret knowledge. No one but God has that information. So therefore, we do what Paul is doing. We indiscriminately give the gospel to all people. And we trust that as we cast the gospel net out into the world, Jesus will be catching the fish that he has set his heart on from all eternity. Those that the Father has given to the Son, according to Jesus, will come to him. How will they come? They will believe and they will behold Jesus. How will that happen? Someone, Romans 10, will tell them the gospel. 
If you want to be strong in the grace of Christ, tell the gospel to other people. If you want to be weak, don't do that. Finally, number six, to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, you're going to be doing five other things. Making people happy in Christ, verse 2. You're going to be like a soldier, athlete, and farmer working hard for the prize of Christ. You're going to be searching for Jesus in His Word. You're going to be fixing your eyes on Jesus once you see Him in Scripture. You're going to be laying your life down for God's elect. And finally, verses 11 to 13, you will know and trust Jesus more and more. The good news about your relationship with Jesus is that you know very, very little about Him. The better news is that you can increasingly know him more and more. The really, really, really better news is that all Christians will do that. Verses 11 to 13 has four statements. Three of them are parallel. The fourth one is not. The first three statements match. The last one doesn't. This is why I described this last point as knowing and trusting Jesus more and more. The opening phrase, if you died with Him, you will live with Him. You see, this is clearly about Jesus, not just God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. This is about Jesus. We know so because the Father did not die on the cross. The Holy Spirit did not die on the cross. This is a verse about somebody who died. Namely, Jesus, God the Son, If you died with him, you will live with him. So the question of the first phrase is, have you been crucified with Christ? Have you died to yourself? Have you resigned your entire life, like a dead person, totally to another? Does the life that you live now belong to Jesus? Is the old you dead? Verse 12, we're not only learning how to by grace that's in Jesus we're actually looking at somebody who is being strengthened do you see it in the second phrase not only have they died with Christ therefore they're spiritually alive forever but they're also enduring with him they're steadfast they are being strengthened you can't endure unless you have strength and it says here in this verse if we endure with him we will reign with him people who endure with Christ are people who walk with Jesus. Their life is linked with the risen Christ. Are you walking with Jesus? Is your life linked with His? No one's getting to glory without personal holiness. Hebrews 12.10 Unsanctified people will not sit on thrones in glory. And this verse says if you endure with Him, you'll reign with Him. You'll be enthroned forever in glory with the reigning Christ. Those whom He saves, He sanctifies. The third parallel is if we deny Him, verse 12, He will also deny us. Uh, Somebody who tastes the strengthening grace of Jesus will never deny Him. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You see, lots of people in Timothy's world were denying Jesus. Even some people like in the previous passage, Phagellus and Hermogenes, and people in the previous book, they left us. They abandoned the cross. Many people were denying Jesus. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of Him. We will not deny Him. And if we deny Him, 
we can be confident He will deny us. In fact, Jesus is the one who said, Matthew 10, whoever denies Me before men, I will deny him before My Father in heaven. Matthew 10.33 So, you die with Him, you live with Him. You endure with Him, you reign with Him. You deny Him, He denies you. Those are all parallel. The last one is not. If we are faithless, verse 13, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. What a wonderful verse. No matter what we do or do not do, God remains gloriously the same. He cannot violate His character. God is immutable. He's the only changeless being in the universe. Through and through, He's faithful. Nobody and no one can alter His commitment to be true to Himself and to all of His promises. And Paul wants Timothy to know this God. And that the only access to the faithful God is faith in His Son. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. Your lack of faith doesn't change Him or who He's going to save. But if you want to be one of those who knows His faithfulness, then you too must faith Him, not be faithless, because He will never break His promise to save those who take refuge in His risen Son, who confess our sins, who put our trust in the risen Jesus to save us. Why will He not forsake us? Because He cannot do so. How do we know that? This verse tells us He cannot deny Himself. It's not only that He will not. That is true. But why will He not do it? He cannot do it. God cannot be other than He is. He always is as He ever was and will be. Each of those first three statements are not parallel. Uh, are parallel. The fourth is not. So if you want to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, you have to know and trust the faithful God. You want to be strengthened by the grace of Christ? There's a big banquet of Christ's sufficiency right in front of you today. We need to ask Him to empower us to make multiplying disciples of Jesus. Pour our life into faithful people who will teach others also. We need to suffer with His workers. That's toil because the prize is worth it. Seek Jesus in His Word. Fix our eyes on Him in Scripture once we see Him. Lay our life down for those whom He has chosen. And know and trust the biblical Jesus more and more. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we ask that You would cause us to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.